So today we come to the ninth commandment in our series entitled The Ten Words. We've been looking at the Ten Commandments for, uh, well, this will be week nine. And uh, I'd like you to open your Bibles to Exodus 20 one more time. We will finish next week. And then uh, we'll have our Easter Easter service. And then the following Sunday, Pastor Rick Kreider is going to come and preach to us as part of the, the celebration of 100 years of Chatham. We'll have previous pastors come and speak throughout this year. And so Rick is coming on April 23rd, and we'll have a little get-together after the service uh, to reflect on his time here. He was the interim pastor between Pastor Dave and me, so about two years here. So we're excited to welcome him back to preach to us and to catch up with us and us with him. So commandment number nine, and uh, it's on page 61 in your pew Bibles, Exodus 20, verse 16. If you don't have a Bible of your own, we'd love for you to take one of ours and use it at home. And it simply reads, You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. So what is it about? What is this commandment about? Well, clearly it's about saying something wrong, inaccurate in court, and that being used to condemn a person, your neighbor, someone you know. So it's not speaking truthfully in court. That's kind of the immediate context here. It's perjury. Saying something that would incriminate someone else, but that has no basis in the truth and reality. Now you can imagine in Israelite culture of the day, right? So you have no forensic science, you have no video evidence, right? No pictures, none of that exists. And so you're always relying on the testimony of people who know the person who may have seen what happened to decide whether that person is innocent or guilty. So this is a big deal in that context. That's how people got got condemned or, or acquitted of crimes. Now, of course, as, as we look at this, we can't take it only so narrowly and say, well, we can lie in any other part of life as long as we don't lie in court about someone else, right? No, of course not. The way these commandments are written, it often gives you kind of the worst case scenario, right? Like murder. Murder is the worst case scenario. But of course, violence and, and anger, as we talked about, are also excluded from God's law. And so in this case, the worst case scenario is using your words, your untruthful words, your lies, falsehood, to put someone perhaps to death in through the court proceedings. That's the worst case scenario. But in any other area of life, we're also forbidden to lie. We're not to use falsehood in any other part of life. And that is how historically this commandment has been understood. For example, Heidelberg Catechism, the, the old Reformed Confession, um, question 112 asks, what is God's will for you in the ninth commandment? In other words, what is it about? Answer, God's will is that I never give false testimony against anyone, twist no one's words, not gossip or slander, nor join in condemning anyone without a hearing or without a just cause. Rather, in court and everywhere else, I should avoid lying and deceit of every kind. They're right. That's expanding this commandment, but it's covering all these different areas that are covered in other parts of Scripture. I should avoid lying and deceit of every kind. 
once we take this broader approach to this commandment, we find that it applies to all of us, even if we have never had to testify in court. Now, I'd like to ask two questions this morning. So two points to the outline today. But Steve did tell me I have fresh batteries, so two points is irrelevant to the time of the sermon. But two points, two questions. Number one, why do we lie? We know we shouldn't lie, but we've got to ask the question, why? Why do we keep doing that? If we know we shouldn't, then we keep doing it. So why do we lie, number one? And secondly, how can we tell the truth? If we figure out why we lie, maybe we can figure out how we can stop lying. So why do we lie and how can we tell the truth? Those are two points. And then I, I give a, an answer to each of those two questions. First one, we, we lie because we believe a lie. And secondly, we can tell the truth because we believe in the truth. So we lie when we believe a lie, but we tell the truth when we believe the truth. And I'll expand on each of those. So number one, why do we lie? We lie because we believe a lie. Now, there are many variations of this fundamental lie that we believe that, that helps us, enables us, empowers us to lie in our lives. But fundamentally, this is the lie. This is the lie that we believe. It says that we must justify ourselves. We must justify ourselves. In other words, we need to prove that we are worthy, that we belong here, that we deserve respect and acceptance. That's the lie, that we need to do that, that it's within our power to justify our own lives, to prove that we are somebody important, somebody worthy of other people's attention. In other words, we validate ourselves We believe that we can validate ourselves. Now, I'll show you that that's a lie, I think. I believe that. And I'll try to prove it to you. But that lie enables us to lie ourselves to others and, in fact, to ourselves. If we believe that we ourselves can justify ourselves, we will lie to make that happen. If the truth does not support our pursuit of self-justification, we will use lies to make it better. So let me show you three ways in which we tend to justify ourselves. That doesn't cover all the lying we do, no. But I, I think it covers the majority of it. I think it covers the main motivations for our lying. And I'll use some, some great scandalous examples. Oh, some people perked up. Scandalous examples. And I'll also use everyday examples that that apply to most of us to try to illustrate these three areas in which we lie to try to justify ourselves. So number one, we lie when we try to justify ourselves through accomplishments. We lie when we try to justify ourselves through accomplishments. Now this is pretty standard for us. I think most of us get this part. The logic is if I do well in my job... I must be okay. If I get good grades in school, maybe I'm a good person. If my children are doing well, I must be a good parent. Thus, I must be a good person. Thus, I must be okay. If I define my worth by my accomplishments, but what I have done or what I am doing, and if my accomplishments are not that great, okay, 
Maybe I can lie to become more accomplished. You see, if I'm driven by justifying myself through what I do, then maybe I can help myself do things that are better and more accomplished through lying. So let me use this big scandalous example. It's not really scandalous, but it's an old example that it's really fun to think about. November 9th, 1874, the New York Herald, which was one of the most popular and influential newspapers in the world, published an article claiming that the animals had escaped from their cages in the Central Park Zoo in New York and were, in fact, rampaging through the city as people are reading this article. Here's some of the headlines that you would have seen if you purchased the Herald that day. Savage brutes at large. Terrible scenes of mutilation. A shocking Sabbath carnival of death. This is back when people knew how to write headlines. <laughs> Awful combats between the beasts and the citizens. Bravery and panic. Now, these are actual things. You go online, you can see the front page of the paper that day. The article reported that 49 people were dead, 200 were injured. They actually printed the names, some of the names in the paper. Many of the animals were shot by citizens. The police were involved. There are many examples of bravery. In fact, some of the more well-known people were, were listed in the article, were described how they took these brave steps to protect others. There were rhinos in churches. I mean, it's, it's a fun read. <laughs> of course, right? People read that, and of course, a widespread panic ensued. You know, people are running out with guns out in the street, trying to find those animals to hunt them down. Uh, you know, parents are taking their kids out of school. Um, the police are mobilized. And all of that is happening uh, after the, the article is published and people are reading it. Reporters from other papers are dispatched to cover the story in New York. Uh, but very few people uh, finished reading the article for good reasons, right? And at the very end, and in rather small print... It was stated that the whole story was a pure fabrication. None of that actually happened. And so the New York Zoo escape has is, is become one of the most notorious media hoaxes of the 19th century. And you thought fake news were our invention. No. <laughs> People knew how to do that a long time before we came around. Now, the question is, why? Right? <laughs> That's the question I'm asking. Why do we lie? Why would a newspaper publish something like that? First of all, commission someone to write it, right? And then publish it knowing, knowing full well people are going to take it as truth. Of course they're going to take it. You, you read the headline, of course, you're going to be alarmed. So why would, presumably the owner of the paper sign off on that, the, the editor-in-chief, right? Everybody through whom this story went... Why would they sign off on that? Why would they want to see this happen? Well, you know the answer, don't you? To sell, sell copies of the newspaper, of course. To raise the circulation. Now, why would they be able to, to justify their lie and their misleading of the public in order to get more copies sold? Well, because their success was defined by the numbers. It was defined by how many copies they sold. So, 
they were justifying themselves through the number of people who were reading their newspaper. And so if they wanted more people to read, if they wanted to make more money, if they wanted to to expand their influence, and they couldn't do it truthfully, well, they would do it through a falsehood, through a sensational story like that. Now, we lie, all of us do that, when we believe that our accomplishments give us worth and security, and so if we need to do something to become more accomplished, to reach that goal that would finally make us feel that we are okay, then we would use lies and falsehood to do that. Here's another example from the world of journalism. And some of you may know this and may have been kind of part of this as it was happening. This is from, from just from the last century. I used My first example was two centuries ago. This is from the last one. 1981, the Washington Post... Uh, reporter journalist Janet Cook actually won the Pulitzer Prize for her profile of a, an eight-year-old heroin addict named Jimmy. It's a big story, this heart-wrenching story of a kid addicted to heroin and all that, that was connected with that. And she got a lot of acclaim. She got the Pulitzer Prize. And then when the story came under scrutiny, uh, people realized there was no Jimmy. It's a completely fabricated story. There's no truth to it. Somehow everybody missed it, but it did originate with the writer of the story. She made it up. She admitted that after the fact. In fact, she admitted that because they had realized that she had been lying on her resume in her previous job, so there was a pattern of lying. Now, why did she do that? To justify her existence through the acclaim of other people, through the accomplishments, the prize, the award, right, the circulation of the paper, all of that, that was a way for her to justify herself and say, I am okay, I am worth something, I am important, I am a valid person here, I belong here. And so if lies were necessary to get there, she was willing to do that. Now, I gave you these two kind of big, right, national stories, but... We all do these kind of things. Whatever it is in your mind that will mean accomplishment for you in your world, you know, we, we're all different. There's different ways that, that we do that. But all of us have certain things that we say, okay, so if I accomplish that, if I were successful in this area, if I could get this award, if I could get this kind of recognition, then I would be okay. Then I would feel fine about myself, then my, my, my feeling, sense of self-worth, self-esteem would be right as it should be. I wouldn't be insecure and fearful and anxious anymore. So whatever that is, we often lie to get there. Now here are some common examples. Inflating your resume. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands, right? But it is very common. We commonly do that. And there are degrees to that, right? Some of us make up complete falsehoods, like I got a degree in that university that I never went to. People do that. Remember the story of the Notre Dame coach? This is probably three years ago. Do you see how I'm getting better with contemporary examples? I'm getting closer and closer to our time. I think it was three years ago, uh, George O'Leary got a job at Notre Dame, and they realized that on his resume, where he had stated that he, he got a master's at a particular school and that he, in fact, played football himself, none of that was true. And he 
he was a coach, I think, for three days. They, he resigned or they fired him very quickly, and his career was greatly affected by that. Now, he had actually done that resume that it became part of a media profile for him years and years prior to that. And when they asked him, why did you do it? He said, well, I wanted a better chance at employment. I wanted to make myself more appealing to my employer. And this was well before Notre Dame came about. This was his previous jobs. But that's how we do it. If, if, I can, if I can help myself along to get something, to accomplish something, to achieve something that will make me feel important and worthwhile, then often we do that. How about cheating on a test to get a better grade in school? Or not in school, maybe at your job. Again, not asking for, for you to raise hands, but that's common for us. For us, you know, we, we, we shouldn't be saying that's people out there somewhere. Many of us have done that. How about lying at work to make more money either for yourself or for your company? Knowing that you could, you, could, you could say something that isn't true, maybe to charge the client more, or maybe to present the numbers in a different way. Again, these are, these are common things of us saying, if I, if I can accomplish something that gives me meaning, and if I can't do it truthfully, I think most of us would prefer to do it truthfully, but if I can't do it truthfully, then maybe I can lie and get away with that. So that's the first one. We justify ourselves and thus are willing to lie because we, we do that through our accomplishments. Secondly, we justify ourselves through comparisons with others. Comparisons with others. Now, nowhere do we see this more obviously than in politics, right? Pick me because I'm better than my opponents. I don't actually need to be all that great myself. I just need to be slightly better than the other guy or gal. And if I can get through the scrutiny of the media and somehow come out in a little bit of a better light than the other candidate, that's good enough for me. Think about all the ads that that you see, the political ads. Many of them are not really actually telling you much about the person that, that that they're asking you to vote for. They're just telling you a lot of dirt about the other people. Because they know... If you think that your guy, and you may know nothing about him, but if he is better than the other guy, so if we can just discredit the other people, then we'll be okay with our candidate. That's bearing false witness against your neighbor. Right? That's an example of that. Again, an example in the media, but we do that in our lives as well, don't we? We don't need to present ourselves better than others, oftentimes. Sometimes presenting ourselves as good as others is enough. So some of us go for the sky and we say, I'm better than everybody else. Most of us say, if I'm just good, as good as everybody else, I'm okay and I can validate my existence through that. So here's a story from the Bible. Ananias and Sapphira in Acts 5. I'd like you to turn there. And and this is one of those things where most of us look at this story and we we just say, "Man, man, God was really harsh with them. And... And God doesn't do that often, or at least maybe not anymore. I don't know. So the question is, why? Why was such a harsh judgment on these two people in the early church? Um, and I think part of it has to do with the mentality that, I was, that was setting into the church, where people were comparing each other to themselves, and that kind of a spirit couldn't really develop. It, didn't, it, didn't, it couldn't really grow, and so God put a stop to that. So the story is, there, there's this couple, Ananias and Sapphira, 
Um, and they uh, sell a piece of property, as many people have done in the early church. And then they bring money, the, the proceeds of, of that sale, to the church. And they, they give it to the apostles to be distributed to people who are poor and needy in the church and in the community. Now, what we need to see is that in the context, right before chapter 5, there's chapter 4. And chapter 4 ends with this man, Barnabas, son of encouragement, a Levite, a wealthy person who sells a field that belongs to him and brings all the money, lays it at the apostles' feet. Now, other people have done this, but the context here is important. And then we see Ananias and Sapphira who do the same thing. They, they do what Barnabas did, except they only bring a portion of the money to the apostles, but making an impression that they're bringing all of the money like Barnabas did. So that, what's, what's happening here? They're pretending that they're just as good as other people who have done that. In reality, they're holding back part of the money. Now, what's interesting here is that when they're talking to Peter, Peter asks, you know, Peter asks them what's going on here. And Peter tells them, it, it's your land. It's your money. You, can, you don't have to sell it. If you sold it, you don't have to bring all your money to the church. Do whatever you want with it under God. That's your thing. Why did you lie to God and why did you lie to us? That's the issue. They're lying, but why? So they would appear just as generous as everybody else in the church. They could have just brought part of it. Nobody would have thought anything of it, I don't think. And that would have been it. But because they wanted to appear like other people, they wanted that comparison to be favorable to them. So they also could be one of those generous families in the local church who gave all their money, who gave all their land to the church. And so there's a harsh judgment that came upon them for that. Now, let's make it relevant to us. Do you, do I, also come to the church and try to present ourselves as good as everyone else here? That's pretending, right? That's hypocrisy. That's lying. When we come and we... We make it look like we're doing as well as everybody else. But really, we're not doing as well as everybody else. Whether it's a struggle in your life, whether it's you're hiding a sin in your life, whatever that is. But if we're coming with the attitude of, I'm going to present myself, and I'm going to be just like everybody else, and so everybody else is smiling, I will smile as well. Everybody else says they're doing well, I will say I'm doing well. Everybody else praises God for his children, I will also praise God for my children. And so we're just saying... I'm okay as long as I'm like everybody else. I can justify my existence if I compare favorably to other people. But sometimes, it's not even about being better or even about being as good as other people. It could just be about someone else being worse than me. Right? So maybe I don't need to be as, as good as someone or better than someone, but as long as there's someone else that's worse than me, then I will feel good about myself. That's how gossip often takes root, right? Have you heard about that marriage? Man, they're really struggling. What's the implication? I'm not struggling in my marriage. I mean, maybe I have other issues, but certainly not as bad off as that person. And if I'm able to talk about it, if I'm able to bring it up, if I'm able to compare myself to them, however subtly, then I'm okay. I have validated my existence. I have justified myself. 
Now, we all do these kind of things. What I'm saying is, I don't know where you fall in that. You know, you figure out your particular struggles, your particular sins. I got my own tendencies within that. But all of us fall under this umbrella. All of us lie to justify ourselves, whether through accomplishment or through comparison with others, or thirdly, through seeking approval of others. So accomplishment, comparing ourselves with others, or thirdly, seeking other people's approval to justify ourselves. We lie in order to be accepted with someone that we perceive to be important, more important than us. For example, we keep secrets from our spouses because we do not want them to be disappointed in us. Right? Well, I'm not going to tell her that because she might stop loving me. And it really matters to me what she thinks of me. Well, I'm not going to tell him about what happened yesterday because, man, if he found out, I don't know what he would think of me. So I'm not going to tell him. Or I'm going to tell him something else. Or I'm going to tell her something else. We lie to our boss to get their praise, right? Anybody who's worked with other people and under someone's leadership, you know kind of what they want you to say. You know what will get you in their favor. And so you do that. Whether it's true or not, but you do that. We pretend that we are more spiritual to be accepted with other people at church. I'll give you my personal illustration on that, so I'm, I'm trying to be truthful today as well. So Sometimes I get a call in the morning and, and somebody says, Oh, did I wake you up? Oh, no. <laughs> you cannot wake me up. I've been up for hours praying. You know, There's no way you can call me at a time that you would get me out of bed. I'm already up. Now, I don't say that, but when somebody says, did I wake you up? I never say you woke me. Even if they woke me up, why don't I say that you woke me up? I mean, what's the harm in that? But I know what my heart is. My heart says it's, it's perception, right? I want their approval. I want their praise. I want them to think I'm more spiritual, that I'm, that I'm not as lazy as I am, that I don't sleep as much as I do. And so very subtly, right, this is a very, very subtle way, I'm, I'm, I'm vying for their acceptance. And I'm willing to lie to get it. Pastors exaggerate attendance numbers all the time. You need to know that about pastors. (laughs) We almost never speak the truth about numbers on on church attendance. If pastors reported church attendance and then we came up with statistics, it would be like twice as many people at church. Because we talk to each other. And that is often how we justify ourselves. When you're talking to another pastor, it's like, well, how many people do you have in your church? Or the question is, how many are you running? That's the question. You know, and it's the temptation is so strong to give you the higher number, right? To, to exaggerate, maybe just a little bit, maybe by a lot. Because why? Because I'm, I'm justified by this person's approval. If they think highly of me, because I already think highly of them, right? That's a peer, that's somebody I respect already. And if I can get their approval and their praise, well, I'll feel good about myself. I'll feel justified myself. There's another story in the Bible in Genesis 27. You can turn there if you want, but you don't have to. Genesis 27 is the story of Jacob dressing up like his brother Esau to get his father's blessing, right? His father's dying. Esau is the older brother. Esau is supposed to get the blessing, kind of the, the final blessing from the father, from the patriarch. And yet uh, Jacob in Consultation with his mom, 
that is devised this plan that Jacob is going to pretend like he's Esau. So he's going to actually dress like his brother. He's going to try to smell like his brother. He's going to do all these things, right? Make a certain kind of food that his brother would make so that the father would give him the blessing that really belongs to his brother. So he's literally dressing up like someone else. He is literally pretending to be someone else just to get the approval and the praise and the acceptance of his father. Now, that hits to home for some of us, especially as we relate to our parents. So my question to all of us today, have you been dressing up like someone else to get the approval of an important person in your life? Maybe your parents, maybe your spouse, maybe your boss, maybe your friend, maybe church leadership, I don't know. But where you've been acting differently, you've been even maybe even looking differently, talking differently, so that you would be acceptable to that person, so you would get their approval and their praise. Now, the more important you think that person is in your life, the more you're willing to do to get their acceptance. It's the, it's the, somebody says, the praise of the praiseworthy that matters to us. If you don't think much of someone, you don't care if they like you or if they accept you. But if you think highly of them, it matters what they think of you and if they think highly of you. And if we can't get there with the truth, right, get their acceptance and approval with the truth, maybe we're willing to, to lie. Let me give you another example. This is more common to life example. I'd like to welcome you into the wonderful world of middle school and high school. I'm looking. I'm going to look over here so nobody feels subconscious. Um, so so there's this, this idea in, in those circles, and I don't remember middle school or high school very well, but I've seen Mean Girls, so <laughs> I know how it really works. And I know that the most important thing is, is to get in with the group of the people that, that you like, the particular clique, particular group. And I know that the easiest way to get in with people and to become part of that group is to mock and speak badly and slander people who are outside of that group. That's how you do it. You're going to do it. This is how. You find the people that that group is already picking on, right? That they already don't like. And then you come to them and kind of join in. And it feels like, yeah, you're part of us because you hate the same people we hate. And so you become part of that group. Now, I'm not picking on teens because we all do that. This is not uncommon whatever age we are. Apparently, it doesn't, it doesn't end with graduation. It seems to go on. You just start joining other cliques in life. And, and what, what happens is, is the same dynamic, right? Friends, it happens in churches. It happens in, in theological circles. It, it happens everywhere. At work, certainly. Here's the three, four people, right? They're close. They're going to whisper about somebody else. They're going to gossip. They're going to slander somebody else because that's how you keep that group together. It's weird how the human heart works in all this. But I think at the core of this, what we're trying to do is we're trying to make ourselves feel better about ourselves through the acceptance of other people. And so we're, we're looking for that approval. We're looking for that praise. We're looking for that acceptance. And maybe it's in a group. Maybe it's just one particular person. But we do that because we think that's going to validate me. That's going to finally make me feel that I belong, that I'm okay, that I'm justified. 
So that's our problem. This is, I think, why we lie. By and large, there are exceptions, but I think by and large we lie to justify ourselves, either through accomplishment or comparing ourselves with others or through the approval of important people in our lives. Now, what does the Bible say about our efforts to justify ourselves? Well, it says that they're useless, that we can't actually do that. We cannot justify ourselves by ourselves. No accomplishment, if you're trying to justify yourselves through accomplishments, no accomplishment is, is ever great enough. There's always something else, right? You do something and then you're like, yeah, but if I could only do that other thing, and then you do that and you say, yeah, but that's not enough either. There's more to conquer, right? No praiseworthy person fully accepts us. There's nobody that you respect a lot that fully accepts you for who you are. There is always someone that is better than me. If I compare myself to other people, right? Sure, I may may find some people that I would consider to be not as good as I am, or maybe as good as I am, but there are plenty of people who are better than I am. So what do I do with that? If I'm comparing myself and that's my way of justification, I'm always going to have people who are better, who are unattainable. I, I can't be as good as they are. So how can we be justified? How can we finally feel okay about ourselves? The logic is if I am at peace with myself, I will not need to lie to justify myself. So how can we be justified? How can we finally know that we are worthy, we are accepted, we're validated, we are important? The Bible says that it happens by grace through faith in Christ. By grace through faith in Christ. Romans 3 23 through 25. I'll read it and then I'll, I'll explain it. Romans 3, 23 through 25. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So we know that we're all sinners. We can't reach that justification on our own. And are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by His blood to be received by faith. We're justified by His grace as a gift. So our validation comes by His grace as a gift. This is what it means, that I cannot justify myself, but God can justify myself, and that justification comes as a gift by grace. Grace just means undeserved, unearned. It's not based on what I do. It's not based on how I compare with other people. It's not based on the approval of other people. But it is as a gift by grace to me. And so I wasn't justified, and then God says, now you're justified. It's a gift. Nothing I've done, but somehow now I am by grace justified. Okay, that's grace. It happens through Christ. It's very important. We can talk about grace, and if we don't talk about Christ, grace doesn't matter. Right? God says, I'm going to help my people. All those people that are trying to justify themselves through comparing themselves to others, through achievements and and accomplishments and approval of others, I'm going to send my son to help them, to save them, to justify them. And my son will come and live this kind of life, but he will live a truthful life. He will live an authentic life, never having to lie to advance himself, never having to compare himself with others, never having to earn approval of others and build your life around that. 
He will come and he will do that, and yet he will die as a person who had been lying his whole life. In fact, there will be false witnesses trying to get the testimony straight to condemn him. Right? All the people who were trumpeting the law, all of a sudden they're getting all the false witnesses together to try to condemn Christ. And so when Jesus died, he paid for our sins. We say that, right? That's that phrase. He paid for our sins. What does that mean? He took all the failures, right? He took all our shortcomings, all the things that we don't compare favorably with to others. All those problems with giving approval and getting approval from others. All those things that we did not accomplish but we should have. And all the wrong things that we accomplished that we didn't need to accomplish and shouldn't have accomplished. He took all of that. That is what he died for. And when he died, by the way, not only did he lose the approval of people who put him to death, he lost the approval of God. He was the lowliest, right? Compare him to anybody. He's the lowliest on the cross. What did he accomplish in his life? Nothing, nothing. When you see Jesus on the cross, what can you say about his life that was good? Nothing. It all comes to the cross and it all ends there. So that's what Jesus did. And he did that so that he could rise again and say, based on this, because I did what was coming to you, right? I did that. Now I can grant you this justification, this acceptance with God forever that is not based on you, but based on me. That's the work of God. Jesus did that for us. He did that so that we could be justified by grace. Now God can give justification as a gift by grace because of what Jesus did. And there's the last part to it. Faith. By grace, through Christ, but by faith. Faith is simply us us saying, I believe that I don't need to justify myself anymore. And I believe that in Christ I am justified. That what he did for me took care of my issue. That what he did actually provided this, this way to be reconciled with God. Now I can be okay with God, I can be okay with myself because of what Jesus did. No matter how I compare with other people, no matter how much I accomplish, no matter who likes me, who doesn't like me, what clique I belong to. Because of Christ, I am okay. That's faith. That's all it is. We, we can talk about other things, but that's all it is. You're just saying, I am okay because of Jesus and what he did for me. Now, if that, that's the truth. That's the gospel. That's the word of Christ. If we believe that, and that word of Christ, as we read from Colossians, dwells richly in me and in us as a community, we have no reason to lie anymore. You can't break up this logic. We can refuse to apply it, sure. We can distract ourselves from this, but this logic is solid. If I believe in the gospel, I do not need to lie anymore. I don't need to. There's no reason. There's no need. There's no drive anymore. If I believe in the gospel. And I don't mean just you one time you believe and then you say, I'm a believer. I'm saying it's something that's ongoing. You're, you're constantly reconnecting with Christ 
Through faith, you're constantly meditating on grace. You, you're in it, right? The word of Christ dwells richly. It's permeating, right? You're, you're soaking yourself in it. And if that's true, if that's happening, if the gospel is a reality for you, there's no reason for us to lie. So let me go through those three categories really quickly and then we'll finish. So if I am wired to justify myself through accomplishments, so maybe, maybe that's, that's my natural way to justify myself. But because I believe in the gospel that I, I am not justified based on my accomplishments, but I'm in fact justified based on Christ's accomplishments to which I cannot add anything, what can I do? It happened. He died on the cross, he rose, he ascended. That happened. It doesn't matter what I do, I can't add to that, I can't subtract from that. And God says, based on that I accept you. Not based on what you do, but based on that. Why would I lie about my accomplishments? Why would I lie to accomplish more if I already have all I need in Christ? I am justified by grace. God accepts me because of Jesus' work. Not my work, but his work. So I can be honest about what I actually accomplish in this life. Now, let me tell you, one, one thing it does is that I don't need to make myself look better anymore, right? So I don't need to exaggerate my accomplishments. I don't need to lie so I can do more. We get this, right? But I can also be honest about what I do well. I don't need to be falsely modest anymore either. This is a, this is a freeing thing. Somebody gives you a compliment and you know... It's right. You did well. You did something good and somebody notices that. Now, friends, now you can just say thank you. You don't need to make an excuse. How, yeah, but it was really worse than you think. No. They're making a compliment. Just accept it. If it's true, accept it. Because in the gospel, that kind of truth lives as well. I mean, it's tremendously freeing. Now, of course, I'm struggling with that part a little bit, but... But in the gospel, I know that we can do that. Now, secondly, if, if we are wired to justify ourselves by showing ourselves to be better than someone else or as good as someone else or finding somebody, somebody who's worse than I am, let us remember that in the gospel, as far as God is concerned, in his eyes, I am as good as Jesus. I am as good as Jesus. Okay, I'm saying these things, and it's hard even to say it, because these things are, are so mind-blowing. But if we are accepted on the basis of Christ and his work and who he is, and by the way, there's nobody better than him. There's nobody better. I can find somebody better than me, but I cannot find anyone better than Christ. And God says, I see you in Christ. When I see you, I see Jesus, and I accept you as I accept Jesus. Philippians 3 talks about the righteousness of God. Not my own... Paul says, I don't have my own righteousness. I'm not trying to get my own righteousness. Same thing. I'm not trying to justify myself through my works. But I have the righteousness of God through Christ. I have Christ's righteousness. That means that as good as Christ is, somehow, through faith, through the work of the Holy Spirit, now that is applied to me, and so I am as righteous as Jesus is. 
Not in practice. Let me be very clear. Not in practice. But in my standing, in the way that God sees me, in my relationship with Him, He accepts me for the sake of His Son Jesus who is perfect. And thus I come to Him in Christ by faith, not having reformed my works. I come to Him fully accepted with Him as Jesus is. So that's two. I don't need to compare myself to anybody because if I compare myself to Jesus, I win. That's pretty cool. And so why would I compare myself with anybody else? That's not going to do much for me in my sense of self-justification. And finally, the third one. I don't need to lie to get the praise of the praiseworthy person in my life because I already have God's approval in Christ. Remember, there's a scale. If I think somebody is important, I'm, gonna, I'm willing to lie more to get their approval than somebody who's less important in my life. Now you take it all the way up and you say, who's the most important person? God is the most important person. What does God think of me? He loves me. And by the way, He knows exactly what I am, what I have done. He knows everything about me. And He says, you are fully accepted with me through Christ. So I have the praise of the most praiseworthy person. I have it already. Why would I lie to get the praise of somebody who is less important than that. I already have that. See, that frees you to be truthful. It frees you to be truthful in very difficult relational circumstances when you have to speak the truth to somebody and you know if you speak the truth and you know you have to speak the truth, but if you do, that relationship may be damaged. But as a Christian who believes in the gospel, you can do that. You do that in love. But you can speak the truth in relationships. It's, it's an amazing thing taking the gospel and taking this particular issue of any other issue but this particular issue of truth speaking and saying, now let's just apply that. And as you apply it, you gain this tremendous freedom to live totally differently. You're not under this oppressive influence of self-justification anymore. And so I finish with this. We'll, we'll come to the table and we'll will model this kind of connection with Christ by coming to his table. But I finish with this, go and live a truthful life. Go and work it out. Now, we, we talk about the gospel as affecting your standing with God. And that's mostly what I focused on. Between me and God, there's a new peace now because of Christ that cannot change, it's not based on me. But, because that peace exists, now it affects my life. And so... I could lie and still be okay with God, sure. But why? Why would I lie? Wouldn't this, this cosmic event of reconciliation with God through Christ make me a different kind of person? Yes, of course it would. And so I'm going to be a different kind of person. I'm going to live a different kind of life. Because in the gospel, I have no reason to lie anymore. So live a truthful life, accept a valid compliment today. Don't lie about what you have accomplished or how you measure up to someone else or lie to get someone's approval because you have everything you need in Christ given to you as a gift by grace by God who loves you. We're going to take communion together. We're going to come to the table and as usual, I warn those that are not with Christ not to come to the table. This is not because we're mean. 
But this is because what happens at the table happens between those who have committed themselves to Christ by faith and Christ. This is not a show. Don't do it because you want to look more religious, because you want my approval or whatever. Don't do it for those reasons. Don't justify yourself through the sacrament. If you're not a believer, come to Christ. Come to Christ today and embrace Him and see that He can justify you by what He's done. And you can be okay. You can have meaning. You can have joy in your life. That struggle to justify yourself can be over because you have everything you need in Christ. If you are a believer, I encourage you to come to the table. And as you come, think about ways that you have tried to justify yourself and repent of that. And say, the gospel does not allow me to do that anymore. I'm not that person anymore. I don't need to do that. I will speak the truth. I will live the truth to the point that I'll even share that truth with others because it is so meaningful to me. So as you come to the table, you see Christ's body broken. You see his blood spilled. Why? To save you, to justify you, to give you peace, to make you okay. As you come forward, we will sing. Take communion in front if you want, or you can take it back to your seats to meditate more, to confess, to think about the gospel. If you're unable to come forward, an elder will bring it to you and be happy to bring it to you. Just raise your hand if you're new here so we can find you. If you're at the balcony, and the balconies, there are tables set up for you there so you can walk forward where you are, right where you're sitting there. Let's pray together and prepare our hearts. Father, thank you for the gospel. Thank you that in Christ we are justified by faith and that all of that is a gift. It's grace. That none of that is based on what I do, what we do, what we have accomplished, how we compare with others, who likes us and who doesn't like us. That all of that depends on Jesus coming into this world, becoming human though remaining God, living a perfect life under the law, suffering and dying for us as a substitution in our place, in our stead, on our behalf, covering our sin, covering our guilt, and then rising again to give us this new life, a new life of freedom from lies. Lord, I pray, just even for myself, that as I speak these words, that they would be meaningful to me, that as I leave the pulpit, I will live them out, and that we will live out the gospel in the way we speak and live, and that whatever we do, we would do on the basis of this great truth of the gospel. Holy Spirit, help us. Help us do that. We confess that we are self-justifiers by our sinful nature. And yet, Holy Spirit is working in us and we're becoming more and more like Christ, more and more reliant on His grace, more and more restful in our relationship with God through Christ. The Lord Jesus, on the night when He was betrayed, took bread when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, also, he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Whoever, therefore, eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then, and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. Let's do it together.